0: This morning, I want to start talking about water. A dream of mine uh, here at Grace Church. Uh, if you don't kind of turn around and look at that booth, the sound booth right there. All the, the two people who love to hide in the back, wave at them. We see you. You're not hiding. That area right there, I want to turn that into a fountain. I want people to walk in the church, and the first thing that they'd be greeted about in the sanctuary is water. Now, here's why. Have you ever been to a Catholic church, Anglican church, Lutheran church, anything like that? Have you ever been to to a church like that? Anyone? Hands up. When you walk in, what's the first thing that you see when you come in? Some kind of a holder, okay? If it's a big church, it's a fancy kind of fountain. If it's a smaller church, it's going to be some kind of a basin. It's like a bird feeder, right? (laughs) I don't see any birds. What's this for? And the idea is, is, is that the moment the faithful walk in the room, they put their hands in the water, right? They feel the water. And they take it and they kind of do this with it, right? Right? They do the cross on their head. Who knows what that's about? Anybody? Is it because they're hot and parched? And if you do this, you should not do this. If you ever walk into those churches, okay, it's not for you to drink at it, right? Um, are you supposed to take your coins and, to make a wish? Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> The idea is this, the idea is that the faithful followers of Christ, when they come out of their work week, out of their problems, out of their distractions, out of their sins, out of their stress of the week, and they walk into the house of worship, the first thing that the follower of Jesus has to do is to remind themselves of their baptism. To remind themselves of what it was they committed to when they went under the water. To have a symbol that reminds yourself of the covenant you made to another human being. That throughout your day, when you're distracted, you're not focusing, you're not thinking about it, when you are living life, something reminds you of a vow that you made to someone who means a lot to you. A symbol, a reminder, something you can touch and feel. Something you can touch and feel and experience. So, just put my hand in that water, it's amazing. I touch the water, and I'm almost distracted from my sermon because I feel the wetness, I feel the, the, the cool of it. And then when I touch my head with it, I mean, all sorts of senses begin to, to fire off when a human being comes in contact with water. You are to remind yourself of what it is you're doing here in the first place. Why am I even here? What is this whole thing about? Why are we singing songs? What are we doing here? Oh, that's, that's right. That's what it's about. Why am I... <laughs> Why do I have kids again? Why am I changing diapers? Oh, that's right. (laughs) Do I regret that choice? No, never, ever. It's perfect, right? Come on, wake up. Wake up. It's not always perfect, right? But you have a reminder. And so uh, this is the idea that I want to start with this morning. The author of uh, Hebrews was talking about all these different topics. You are a, a baby in the faith. And if you are a baby, you at least know these things. So uh, the last few weeks, we've gone over learning these these basic baby truths of Christianity. And so the last two he mentions, he mentions the, the resurrection of those who are dead, and then he talks about eternal judgment. Now, I'm not going to give you the resurrection sermon. That's too exciting and, and sweet and comforting and loving and uplifting. We've got to save that for Easter. We can't talk about the good stuff yet. We've got to talk about the depressing stuff today. We're going to talk about eternal damnation. There we go. <laughs> We've got some hellfire brimstone people in here. What is brimstone anyway, right? Anyways, okay. And so we're going to talk about one of these, uh, the baby bottles, The idea of sin, right? The idea of sin. I'm going to tie it back in the water as we get going. But I have a question for you guys. Have you ever been around children before? I love children um, as a teaching example. Because children are pure. They're simple. They are straightforward. There are so many things about children which kind of just, they go beyond all the games that adults play. When a baby is crying, what does that mean? Anyone? If a baby is screaming at you, what does that mean is happening? This baby is evil. This baby is sinful from the, from the tree of Adam and Eve. Born with sin in your bones, right? What is the baby doing when it's crying? Anyone? It's, it's doing what? Do what? It needs something, right? It's communicating. It is a, a sign. It is, it, the only way it knows to say, I have need, and I cannot meet that need myself. Correct? I have need. Now, what's interesting is with babies, it's the only stage of development where we allow this to happen without anger. Now, I'm assuming all you parents are so awesome that you never got mad at the newborn, because that's awful, right? Whoever got mad at the newborn, come on, be honest. Come on, anybody. Okay. I saw some faces going, oh, that's me. It's pure, it's, it's innocent, but we can still get mad at it, right? Because it gets, it gets pretty loud, depending on whose lungs it gets. That'd be my wife's. You guys get all know. And so what happens in this is when this baby is, is acting out, right, it gets colicky. It's communicating. There is a need that it has that it cannot meet. It's interesting as children begin to grow and to get older. If you pay attention, not much changes. Now, I've had the pleasure to be able to be a youth pastor, uh, to pastor uh, middle school, high school, and then adults. I've had the pleasure to parent baby babies as they get a little bit older. So I've got experience with all the age groups. I would like to share something with you. Are you ready? Nothing changes. Do you hear me? Not a thing changes from this age to your age. Behavior is the same. When you have a need that you cannot meet on your own, what do you do? You act out. Now, I want you to hold on to this in your head. You have been trained to think about sin in a very one-dimensional way. This child hit another child. You deserve. Because the most logical consequence of hitting is hitting. When your child takes something, I'm going to take it from you. Time out. (laughs) This will teach you to never do it again. I'm going to do it again. (laughs) Come on, that's funny. Anyone ever think about that? Never hit again until you have children. Then hit them. I'm messing with you come on we gotta have fun we're talking sin today if we don't joke around and like laugh a little bit at ourselves it's gonna be really uncomfortable as we talk about sin this morning right there are some things that we do that don't always make sense but what we says okay this child did this you took that kid's toy you are in trouble now I have three kids the baby girl is the baby girl. She's the only girl, and she's the youngest. That's a terrible combination. Never try to do it that way. I mean, I, I know you don't control it, but if you could will it or pray it in, don't pray it that way, all right? You don't want the girl to be the baby because she gets everything she wants, especially from me. Amen. Amen. <laughs> it's okay. And so what happens with Rachel and Liam, the middle child, as I will hear Liam Yelling and hitting. And I will hear Rachel crying. And I'll come in the room, give her that toy bag. What did you do? Now, what do you think actually happened? Now, if I, yeah, yeah. If I just deal with the surface level, you stole that thing from that girl, here's your punishment. <laughs> but what happened before the thing happened? What happened prior to that? See, Rachel has learned something. She's learned to be loud when things are okay and to be quiet when she's doing bad things. When she is up to no good, she is silent. She will actually sneak around the house, and when she sees Nisa, she will run straight to me. (laughs) She's going to get after me, but you won't, Dad. (laughs) Yeah, you guys get it. And so what happens in this is that we've been trained to look at sin in a one-dimensional way. You did this, here's what you deserve, period. We had an issue last night. Jude and Liam and Rachel are just acting a fool. You know what I'm talking about? Screaming, yelling, they're naked around their house, they're supposed to be in the bath. You know what I'm talking about? And they're fighting over random things and they're insisting on like, I want this clothes and not that clothes. They're just losing their minds, right? And and of course, you're getting angry with them. Okay, I'm not going to beat you, I'm just going to, Beat you lightly, right? Like, we're, we're going to figure this out. Now, these behaviors are things that we have deemed to be not acceptable, right? These are, they are breaking the rules. In our house, these things are sins, right? You're not listening to your parents, you're being destructive, you're harming each other, blah, 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 right? Should we take anything else into account? For example, when I hear my child scream at the other child and I begin to think a little bit closely And this sounds an awful lot like things they might have heard me do before. As I'm yelling at my children, be quiet! Does that factor into them yelling at each other? Should I take that into account at all? No? Okay. How about this? How about when they are acting psycho crazy, should I take into account sugar? Anyone? Because here at Grace Church, everyone who works in nursery and kids church are the best people in the world, but they have an out. They love to give our kids sugar. When your kids get home and they're acting a fool, should we blame all of it on them or should we blame Grace Church too? Come on. Should we take that into account? The one thing we learn with kids is that kids need sleep. Uh, with my kids, you'll, you'll notice there are bags under their eyes that will turn purple and pink when they're tired. It's the most obvious tell they have. It comes from me. And so with Liam, when Liam gets tired, he turns into a zombie. I promise you. He does not think about anything. He doesn't process. He just does this and yells at things and pushes and hits things. It's the best thing in the world. It's, it's hilarious. And so he, he's at the bowling alley on Friday night, and it, gets, I mean, it just gets that time. His eyes get purple and pink, and he begins to act crazy. Should we factor in his lack of sleep? Whose fault is it that my kid is being a psycho in the bowling alley? Is it, their, is it purely their fault, or is it the, the stupid parent's fault for taking them to bowling world with disco lights at 9.30 at night? Should I be spanked too for this? I think so, right? How many layers are we going to take into account? How much time have these kids had with their mother and their dad? Are we going to take into account that their dad was gone so many days this week? They didn't get to see him at all three times this week? Does that factor in at all? If their dad happens to work far away or mom works a night job and they haven't had that time with their parents, do we factor that in at all? How many dominoes are we going to take into account when it comes to these actions? Are we going to look only on the surface of things or are we going to take everything into account? There are layers to this. When you see sin, the first thing I want you to associate is this, to a crying baby. I I, I want you to think about children who are acting out because there is a need. When I was a youth pastor, I had to learn this very quickly. Because I didn't have a lot in common with the kids who I was pastoring. The backgrounds that these kids came from were not the homes that I came from. I had no experience with a broken home. I had no experience with the type of poverty that some of these kids knew. I had no experience without having connection to my actual father and mother. I didn't know what that would cause inside of someone. I had no experience with drugs, with parents who were druggies. I didn't know what it was like for my, you know, to, to constantly know life where your parents are alive, but they're in prison. Or even worse, your parents are alive, but they want nothing to do with you. And your grandparents are the only ones who will take care of you. I had no experience with any of these things. And when these kids would come around me, their behavior was bad. Bad. Teenagers, I actually wrestled multiple of them. <laughs> Silence. I would not try to. They actually tried to wrestle me. I wasn't like, okay, it's all going bad, okay? Please don't tell the officer outside about any of this kind of stuff. He didn't hear anything, okay? These kids would jump me. This self-defense. Come on. And so in all of this, I had no idea about everything that led to these moments. And so at first, I had a very short fuse with these people. I didn't understand these, the behaviors, the acting out. Why would you be do such a stupid thing? That's dumb. <laughs> this one time, we had kids come into worship service with spray paint all around their nose and, and mouth. Do you have any experience with that? Do you know what they're doing? Anybody? Okay. Dude, if you're going to do it, at least wipe your face off before you come in. Anybody? Anyone? Okay. No. No. What are you doing? That is the dumbest. It's illogical. It doesn't make sense. It's just silly. What is wrong with you? And quickly, I had to begin to learn that there were other dominoes. There were other things that were leading to these moments, things I did not understand. And with sin, most of us always think about dealing it on a shallow surface level. You did this. Here's the consequence Period. That's all there is to it. But when we talk about God, we understand that God does not judge the way that we judge. One of the most comforting things that you could ever know about God is that His judgment takes all things into account. We see this when He begins to to deal with individual levels, and He begins to talk, He goes beyond the exterior shallow actions of someone. Yes, you've been told if you sleep with someone, if you murder someone, yes, you get all that sin, but I'm telling you, if you've even thought about sleeping with someone else's wife or someone else's husband, you are guilty just the same. You might not have killed someone with your hands, but have you intended to harm them in your heart? Have you hated someone? You've already committed murder. And we all go, yeah, yeah, he's just making a point. No, I think he's getting to something deeper than that. He gets to these, these, not just the actions, but the intentions of the heart. Have you ever met someone who's so sweet on the outside, but you knew that they were saying mean things to you? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, southern waitresses are like that. Oh, sweetie, you know what I'm talking about? But, like, you know they're saying, you're such an idiot. Do you know what I'm talking about? Come on. Do you know what I'm talking about? Those people who smile on the outside, but you know behind their eyes are, like, stabbing you. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's the south. Everyone's okay. You understand that, right? <clears throat> Up north. I was taught, uh, since I was from the, the north, everyone is so nice in the south. And I've learned since moving here, that's not, that might not be the case. We're just better at hiding it. We're better at hiding what we really think and feel, right? Up north, they'll just tell you what they think about you. Down here, they're just going to say, it with, oh, bless your heart, right? You sweet little thing, you. You're dumb, you know. You get how this works. Yeah, Absolutely. You're going to feel better as they stab you in the south and up north, right? And so what happens for us in this whole thing of sin, understand this, every action, every outward action of sin comes from a place where there is a need that you need met that you cannot meet it on your own. Think about that crying child in your hands. Every outward action of sinful behavior, things that harm self, things that harm others, is the most basic, childlike way of trying to communicate, I need something, and I do not know how to get it. This is what sin is in the most fundamental, basic way. Every time we operate in a way that harms us and the people around us, it's because there is a need that we have that we cannot find on our own. When we go back to the garden, we see the first birthplace of sin and what sin looks like. Without going in depth in this, we see the first time that man tries to meet man's needs without God, to, to step aside from God and say, I will meet my own needs on my own terms and my own ways. We summarize this by saying that the first sin was the attempt from man to set himself up as God. I know what is good for me. I know what I need, and I'm going to take care of getting my needs met. And this continual, perpetual thing that's been handed down through generations there is something that's missing in us, something in deep-seated need inside of us that has not been met. When you begin to do psychological profiles on people who commit crimes, one of the most consistent themes is something, some kind of a basic need of this person's has not been met. There is something that they deeply need as a human being which they cannot find anywhere else, and this thing has to be met. Whether this was safety or affection, whether this was food or money, resources, whether it's purpose or identity, whatever that thing was, meaning these needs were not met and the acting out, the behavior continued. In the the kids' church and nursery, sometimes at staff meeting, we'll talk over children who've had some hard time because I want to help them find the issue. And so the first things I begin to do, I begin to ask questions to the people who know the family. Okay, so what's going on with the parents? Do we know if the kids have access to their parents? Okay, what's going on in the home? Have they had these issues? Are all their needs met? And we begin to, to walk ourselves through it. It only takes a few questions to find what's going on in that child's life. What has been missing in this person's life to cause them to act out? How can we help meet that need to change that behavior? If God judged the way that we would... Here's what God would do. Here's the way most of us in this room think God judges. I know that you need a bottle and you can't feed yourself, but I'm going to spank you until you stop crying. Come on. I know that you need this bottle, little baby. I'm going to wave it in your face. But until you stop crying, I'm going to spank you because that's not okay behavior. Little infant that can't speak English, but I'm going to spank you anyway. Does this make sense to you? Come on, just... About the image that a lot of pastors give me when they preach sermons about sin, I would never want that God as my parent, wouldn't want that God as my friend, wouldn't want that God around my children. My kids would not spend the night at that parent's house. That's funny and sad. The image I, I that I receive from the common teachings of sin is a God who says, I know that you have needs. But you will not get what you need until I spank you and your behavior changes, and then you will get what you need. I will not hug you, child, until I beat you first and I tell you I love you. It's all better now. What you really needed was a spanking, not the hug. One of the hardest things to do is whenever I've been gone from the house and I come in and there's behaviors that are wrong, the first thing I want to do is set things straight. Get things fixed. How much of this behavior is because of my absence or or vice versa? What's happening here? When you see sin, the first thing that you need to ask yourself, what's missing here? The first question I asked uh, the service was, do you know your sin? We are teaching a class right now on self-discovery on Wednesday nights. Because I've learned that one of the, the blind spots that we have on our walk with God is we do not know ourselves. We don't understand what causes the acting out. We're very good as Christians at saying that's bad and that's bad and that deserves spanking and that deserves fire and that deserves to be, you know, on fire and tortured forever and eternity because that's fair to everybody. Um, come on, I'm messing with you. Come on. But we're very poor at figuring out, okay, what is causing that thing? Okay, I see there's a weed, but where's the root? What's what's causing that thing to grow? And so as we grow with God, one of the things is we have to learn, we have to discover ourselves. We have to know our sin. Not just see our sin, but know. Where does that come from? When I am harsh and unforgiving with my children, where does that come from? Where does that anger come from? Whenever I react in anger with with my spouse, where does that come from? come from, whenever I turn to substances, or I turn to to work, or to whatever it is that I turn to, why, what is the cause of these things? Why am I acting out? Why am I a child screaming and whining? What is it I need? Do I need my diaper changed? A lot of you guys need your diaper changed. You just don't know it. The poo-poo diapers. It's very uncomfortable, correct? You guys are like, I don't like this analogy. Don't call me a baby. I'm sorry. Apologize. What is the need that is not being met? So what God offers us is not just a rod. He offers us provision before He ever shows the rod. I want you to understand this. The language we use when we talk about Jesus as Messiah, we forget a lot of the language. One of the common themes that we see is that Jesus comes in the line of Adam to, to heal everything that's been made sick. He comes as the healer. Now, you guys have heard the passage where he says, I've come for the sick, I haven't come from the, for those who are, who are whole. Have you heard that passage before? This is a beautiful idea of this. I will not hold a sick person accountable for behaving as a sick person. If you are sick and you throw up on me, I can't blame you. My dog had diarrhea last night. Is that too much information? It's annoying. I'd rather it didn't happen. But I can't blame the dog. The dog didn't make itself sick. That's unfortunate. But it's not your fault. There is a God who comes to us. The first thing our God does is He comes to fill whatever that need, that void is. Now, I want you to notice the language from Isaiah to the Gospels to the book of Revelation. To those who have want, they are supplied what they need. To those who are sick, they are made whole. Those who are blind, eyesight is restored. To those who are oppressed, they're freed. To to those who have no family, they receive a family. I want you to see the language. To every hole that is inside of you, God comes to fill the hole. For every need you have that has caused this destructive behavior, I have what you need. The first thing God offers is not the rod. The first thing God offers is provision. Whatever you have need of, this. This will make you whole. Come, all ye who are weary. Come, and I will give you rest. Every single need that a human being could have is listed from Isaiah throughout the Gospels. The first thing that the Messiah brings is He comes to fill any lack, any void, any hole, God comes to fill first. For me, for me to have a child who acts out at home because I haven't been home, because I've been working my tail off, for me to come home and to hold this child accountable, you've been acting out because you haven't had your dad. Here you go. Now you got your dad. Let me tell you, that's going to have a really good outcome. Let me just tell you right now, a great outcome. And the way that child goes to pass that on to their children and the next children, that's going to be a beautiful thing, isn't it? The first thing God does is He acknowledges what is missing, and He offers it to us. It's one thing we have to remember about the gospel. It's what we have to remember about judgment. When God judges, one of the words that are used in this talks about wholeness. God comes to make a world that is unhealthy, sick, is lacking. He comes to make it whole, to make it right again. The judgment of God is taking out of the world everything that needs to be removed. Pain, oppression, violence, rape. Taking these things out of the world and restoring things that are missing. This kind of takes us back to this. Now, okay, Devin, I get that, but what about sin, Devin? Talk hard about sin, Pastor. Here we go. Now, where judgment and consequences come in, the word eternal consequences, where this begins to come in is after every need is met. After we have tasted and seen the Lord is good, is the phrase that's used, right? Right? After we receive, after we have been brought to the the table of bounty, well, I I like food, and it's getting late. It's about lunchtime. Table of bounty, been brought to the spiritual golden corral, and you've been given your chance to have your fill. Now, now, there's a standard that is now being applied. Now that that need is met, now that I know that my child has every need met, How are they going to behave? For Christians who have come into deep fellowship with God, there is still a time of retraining our behavior. See, if you take a child who hasn't had a family and you put them into a family, the behavior doesn't stop overnight. See, the healing process emotionally, physically, mentally for that child takes time to learn how to be a part of a family, to learn what it is to know that your food is going to be provided for you. You guys ever um, had a meal with someone in the armed forces before? Anybody? Have you ever watched how they eat? They hunker over the food. Do you know what I'm talking about? There's no pleasure There's because, because they're worried, right? They only have so many minutes to eat, and if they don't do it, what's going to happen? Their food's going to be what? Taken away from them. You sit down to eat with someone who's been in the army, and they just do this number. Their elbows are up over the plate as if prison or something like that, and they just do this. When they're out, it takes time to learn, to reacclimate. This is what we call sanctification. The process of learning how to live in the fullness of God. How do I live when I've walked with a limp my entire life? How do I learn to not walk with a limp after I've been healed? When I've had to fight for my own my entire life, how do I learn to not have to fight? When I've had to survive my whole life with my walls up, I couldn't trust anyone because everyone would disappoint me. How do I learn to live honestly, vulnerable? And that's where this comes in. The baptism is the moment for us to have a sealing moment in our lives where we feel, we experience, and we are reminded of a moment in time where God has provided every need to be met for us. And from this moment on in our lives, every single time we act out, every single time that we begin to behave in, in sinful ways, we have to remind ourselves of our baptism. That in some way, shape, or form, every single thing I could ever need, every hole has been plugged, even though I feel like it hasn't been. Every wound is being healed, even though the scars still remain. Every single action that I used to do to protect myself, to take care of my own, to claw in a fight and to survive, I have to untrain myself of these things. I have to remind myself that God is near to me, that every hole has been provided for me, and that every kind of destructive behavior I used to have, I have to unlearn from myself. I have to remind myself of my baptism, of what, is, of what God has done in me. Here's why it's so important, because every single choice that we make affects every single person around us. Just kind of imagine this. You guys like dominoes? Anybody? In the first service, someone said, pizza? (laughs) Not pizza, okay? You get the idea. Picture yourself, okay, with a, a long line of dominoes kind of coming out in front of you, and then picture one coming out to the right, to the left. Just kind of imagine all these different domino lines all around you. Every interaction you come in contact with a human being, you have these streams of dominoes around you. And every single time you come in contact with a coworker, a neighbor, with a family, a friend, with your, your spouse, with children, you have a choice of what string of dominoes are going to come from you. Because see, every person you've ever met has a long stream of dominoes effects that have caused you to come to where you are. Where you Did you grow up without parents? Did you grow up in a home that was poor? Did you grow up being abused? Have you experienced death in a close, real way in your family? All these things that have happened to you have led you to this moment. Every single time that that I'm with my kids, I have a choice of what I'm what chain reaction I'm going to set off with my children. It's easy for me to use them as an example for that. What am I going to set off on my kids that they're going to set off on their kids and their friends and their relationships and their workplaces? And this goes on and on and on and on. When you go out to eat today and you sit down at that table with that waitress and you know they're having a bad day and they've forgotten your food and your drink and you just you have all the right in the world to be a jerk to them and you go, Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll set this stream off with them. They haven't earned a thing, but maybe I'll give them 100 bucks today. We'll see how that affects their next table and the next table they go to and the next table they go to. There are people in this church who have a good ability to affect the people around them. There are people who, who I mean, you can be feeling terrible, but when they walk in the room, they pick you up. And because they set that often to you, you turn the next person, you pick them up. And, and then there are people who have another gift. <laughs> that other gift, right? And when they come in the room, they set you going this way, and you set that person that way, and blah, 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 right? You see how this works? We are held responsible, not for everything that happened before us, which you are responsible for is the things that happened before you, You are responsible for learning, for knowing your sins, for knowing what is all the pain and the people who who let me down, who disappointed me, all the things, all the areas of disappointment I've experienced, all the areas of pain and trauma. I'm responsible to learn these things. Because if I don't learn these things, I don't know the sin that's in me. And I, if I don't know what's in me, I won't notice when it comes out of me into the people around me. When I when I counsel people, we always end up talking about parents and grandparents. We always end up talking about family things that were passed down. Every time. You have a choice. What are you going to take from you the pass down? In the Scriptures, sin is talked about a sickness. It's flu season, everybody. So you know how that works, right? <laughs> we went to a trampoline park Saturday for a birthday. I love those. Kids everywhere, snotting, sweating, sneezing, jumping past you while they're snotting and sneezing. And I'm sitting here going, this is the worst idea we've ever had. This is a terrible idea. And you can just watch it. And this kid goes, "achoo," on the next kid. And that, yeah, and that kid goes, eh, uh, and touches the next kid. You know what I'm talking about? And you can just see it spreading uh, all the way around the all the, way around the jump park. And I'm just going, I'm done. I'm done with all that. Let's, Yeah, I think I'm done jumping. This is how sin spreads. Someone hurts me, they disappoint me, they're they're harsh to me, they're unforgiving to me, and I take this and I pass it to you, and you pass it to them and to them, and it goes to your house and goes to your kids, it goes to their school and goes to their friends, and this is how sin works. But This is also how forgiveness, healing, hope, kindness, gentleness, patience, self-control, this is how these things work. When my kid comes home and is a butthole to me because he's got butthole friends and that kid's got butthole parents, I go, I'm going to talk to the butthole parent, but you, ah, I'm going to be patient with you. I'm going to be gentle with you. I'm not going to be able to beat this out of you, but what I can do is I can put something healing into you. In the same way that sickness spreads in the Scriptures, and we see it from Adam, the sickness spreads throughout all the globe. The image of the healing of Christ is supposed to go the, the same way. If Adam sets this chain reaction of sickness, Jesus sets this reversal of the antidote. The healing of the world. The book of Revelation ends with this, this comment about this, this tree and how the waters flow from this tree and these, these leaves, this, the life from this source brings healing for all the nations. This... Sh- River of life, the water. The answer for sin is not any complex thing. You were created for one thing to be deeply interwoven into the life of God. You were created to be in deep fellowship with God. And every time we step out of that bond, remember the water being put into that relational connection to God. Every time you pull yourself out of the connection, the reliance upon God, you will set off this chain of reaction of harmful events. When self-reliance is near, sin is near too. But the moment we begin to lean back into the relationship with God, to remember that everything we need is near to us in Christ, we begin to set off hope and healing and gentleness and self-control and patience into all the people around us. When you find someone who has learned to be very near to the presence of God. You will find peace in their home. You will find it in their workplace. You will find it in their friendships and relationships. You will, it's easy to spot these people. In the same way that you know those people who cause strife everywhere they go, do you know these people? You were all in high school, correct? That person who just gossiped about everybody? You get the idea how this works. right? Would you guys stand with me? In the old days, um, if we would have had a a Sunday like this with the worship being that great, we would have said, the presence of God was here this morning. Right? (laughs) It was so good. God came, right? We don't use that language anymore. Because the Scriptures teach us that we know that God is here. The reason that we need songs and we need, you know, a good Tom, build up an electric guitar, and we need the words, and we need the water, and we need the, the AC to be the right way, is because we are the ones who have to be present. We're the ones who have to sense the nearness of God. In all of our lives, sin is the same way. You will find yourself, your destructive behaviors, your sins, your bad habits, your, your, the harmful actions with your people you love, this will all always flow out of when there's something needed that you need is not being met. When you're trying to fill that need on your own, you will always hurt the people around you. You will play a never-ending game of, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble. You will continue this behavior until you realize the only solution. Learning to live in that place with God, to abide is the word that the Gospel of John uses. to to abide, to be in, to be connected, to be with God. This is the only place where sin is not even an issue. Our entire lives we are learning not just to remember our baptism, but to live in it. Use the image of swimming, right? Learning to be completely connected to the nearness of God in every part of our lives. Father, we come to you this morning. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would work on us. You're the only one who's able to to cut through all the different masks that we carry, all the different closets we've shoved our pain and disappointment and, and anger into. We ask that you would give us the ability, first of all, to allow you to lead us down healing. The path that leads to healing. You would take us to all the places of disappointment, of hurt, of pain that we would learn forgiveness, that we would learn to heal, that we would learn to let go, and that you would heal us. We also ask, Lord, that you would lead us down the path that leads to compassion and patience. As you take us deeper into healing, Lord, that we would be people who others can sense have found healing as well. That we would be the place where the passing of blame, the passing of, of shame, the passing of hurt and pain would stop that our friends, our neighbors, our family, our children, our spouses would find healing in us because we have found it in you, in Jesus' name. So I just want to invite the prayer team to come on down. Remember, we've talked about this. There is a, God has a fickle way of hiding himself in others, in human beings. I wish we could find everything we need in Christ outside of the church, outside of people, but we can't. There are certain encounters with God we can only have with other human beings, and that's just the way He's built it. And so if, if, any, if any kind of sore spots kind of come up on you this morning, any kind of experience of pain or frustration, uh, sometimes it's healing to come and, and to share it, and you'll see God move in a very unique ways. So we're going to have this available as we close. Father, we come to you. We pray for just the nearness of God that we would be aware the nearest of you that every moment that we feel that that possibility lord to turn to destructive behaviors to hurt people to act out in anger frustration unforgiveness that holy spirit you would stop us in our tracks we would that we would know our sin that we would see our behavior and that lord we would choose to take the other out that we would set up a chain reaction of healing from every interaction we have in our lives in jesus name